Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.55 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 27th of April. That'd be a Tuesday, 2021. This is episode 408 of Bitcoin and BlockFi is now openly pontificating that lending them Bitcoin should really come with a negative interest rate. Such nice guys. This is uh, from Damian Donnelly yesterday. And yes, it's confirmed. And that's not even... That's not even half of the chicanery that's going on over there at the BlockFi. They have been pretty much reducing their interest rate on uh, lending Bitcoin. Or, well, you lending them Bitcoin or you, you know, giving them some Bitcoin and they loaning it out and, you know, you, you getting some kind of interest rate back. You know, when the, when the idea first hit, uh, you know, last year, uh, they were talking about it like, you know, a couple of years ago, but it really became a craze during the last year, um, people just kind of wanting to sit on their Bitcoin while we're figuring out what the hell the bear market's going to do. And these guys come along and say, hey, well, we'll give you interest if you loan us your Bitcoin and we'll, we'll loan it out to other people. You, you provide the liquidity and we'll, give you, we'll catch you on the flip side kind of thing. Okay, well, that was great. Uh, and then we started thinking, yeah, well, maybe, you know, uh, handing over your keys to a trusted third party being a security hole is, is not a good idea. So we were, you know, the the field of people in the Bitcoin space were starting to talk about that. And then it became evident that it was getting more and more dangerous. And then now, over the last couple of months, BlockFi has been actively reducing the amount of interest you're going to earn on lending them your Bitcoin so that they can lend it out to somebody else. And yesterday they announced that they were dropping it to a full, like, half a percent. And they have three tiers. Now, I, I don't know that much about how BlockFi actually does their stuff insofar as their tiering is concerned, but it has to do with how much uh, Bitcoin you put on there. And I think I read yesterday that if you were in the top tier where you're putting in 20 or more Bitcoin, your interest rate was dropped to a half a percent. And uh, yeah. So in the other tiers, the lower tiers, uh, I get the feeling that it's probably dropped even more. I didn't really look at it all that much because I'm not interested in lending out my Bitcoin. But this, uh, this seems confirmed, uh, this negative interest rate pontification, and it is a pontification, okay? It does, it does look like it's confirmed because of the press release out of BlockFi itself uh, has this paragraph that is attached to this Damian Donnelly post it says, putting principles into practice, let's take a quick look at some of the economic principles underlying our decisions. An inflationary currency like USD generally requires a positive interest rate to maintain purchasing power over time in the absence of central bank intervention, of course. On the flip side, and here it comes, a deflationary currency like Bitcoin should theoretically have zero or even negative interest rates. That's because the purchasing power of that deflationary currency should hold over time. Right, that's just terrible reasoning considering what you're doing when you give them your Bitcoin. You're handing over your private keys to a trusted third party. If I'm not going to make anything or I'm going to have to pay rent on keeping my Bitcoin with a trusted third party, which are inevitably security holes, uh, well, I guess the question is why? Why would, why would I do that? Why am I going to pay these guys rent? I don't know, man. The whole thing with BlockFi is getting spooky. I don't know. Like I said, I don't have I don't have a dog in the hunt with them. I think handing your keys over to get your six percent, which you're not going to be able to get ever again out of BlockFi, uh, is just I don't know, man. That just seems like it's playing with fire. But you make your own decisions. You know, you make your own bed. You do what you want to do. Now this is an, this is kind of interesting. This is out of Electrum Wallet. 
they have a tweet out from 4.53 this morning, my time, uh, and it's from the Electrum Wallet uh, uh, Twitter account, and it says, uh, PSA, attackers have been artificially boosting the rating of Electrum Wallet on Google Play, what's known as a five-star attack. We believe their goal is to have our app removed from the Google Play Store in order to impersonate us with a malware version of our app. That's the whole tweet. And there's there's no screenshot. There's no ancillary evidence. I mean, I've never heard of a five-star attack before. So when I first read this, I was thinking it was just a good morning, let's troll your ass. But I think that they may be, they uh, may not be lying here. I, I, I don't know, but I'm still trying to figure out how the hell giving somebody a shitload of five-star reviews gets an app pulled from an app store. You would think that that's what you want. So I guess the metric is if there's too many five-star reviews, then maybe it becomes like the triggers an algorithm that says this has got to be fake. Nobody gets this these kinds of reviews. I don't know, but just be aware the Electrum Wallet guys seem to think that their Google Play app is under attack with a five-star attack. So do I, you know, act accordingly uh, and be careful out there. Be more careful than Elon Musk. <laughs> yes, we're going to have to talk about it. Come on. I mean, it's, dude, it, it's a thing. It happened. And, he, dude, uh We'll get into it. Elon Musk Tesla sold Bitcoin in Q1. Earnings report reveals. Jeff Benson outlines it for us out of Decrypt.co. Tesla cashed out some of its Bitcoin. Some, guys, some. Make sure that you don't get fooled into believing that they cash it all out because they did no such thing. It's like less than 10%, I think. I'm not sure. In an investor call today, the electric car maker reported Q1 2021 earnings and revealed $272 million in proceeds and a $101 million positive impact from a net cash outflow of $1.2 billion in crypto. According to Tesla CEO Elon Musk, the company sold 10% of its holdings essentially to prove liquidity of Bitcoin as an alternative to holding cash on a balance sheet. Now, Here's the Dave Portnoy tweet. If you haven't seen it, I'll read it for you. Dave Portney says, so am I understanding this correctly? Elon Musk buys Bitcoin, then he pumps it, it goes up, then he dumps it and makes a fortune. Listen, I own one Bitcoin, but Bitcoin is exactly who we thought it was. Just don't be last one hodling the bag. And I'm not sure what he means by Bitcoin is exactly who we thought it was, but whatever, Dave, I don't know if that was just a typo. So Elon Musk was uh, in, in a rare, a, a rare reply to something like this says, no, you do not understand it correctly. In fact, um, I have not sold any of my Bitcoin. Tesla sold 10% of its holdings essentially to prove liquidity of Bitcoin as an alternative to holding cash on the balance sheet. Two things here. One is Elon seems to be, doesn't seem to be, he's confirming that he personally owns a stack of the corn, which is the first news that we've gotten out here or confirmation that we've gotten out of him that he personally owns Bitcoin. I don't know if he meant to do that. Elon's a cagey son of a bitch, man. I mean, he might've just been waiting for an opportunity to release that little nugget upon the world. So on the heels of the Q1 report saying that, that, you know, Tesla sold some, you know, some Bitcoin, which caused turmoil in the markets. Here we have, you know, a few, you know, a couple hours later, Elon Musk saying that not only has, or yes, that, that Tesla did sell some for this liquidity event, but also that he now, well, that he holds Bitcoin. That's kind of news that if it had just dropped all by itself would have made waves. So he, but he did it in the manner where it was kind of, he had kind of like cover because of all the news that broke over the Elon, uh, the, the Tesla sale of Bitcoin. The other thing here is this liquidity event. All right. So the, the, what they're saying is that they had to prove 
to any of the people that matter to be proved to, i.e. shareholders, board of directors, regulatory compliance people, all that bullshit, that yes, in fact, holding Bitcoin as a native asset on their own balance sheet is a net positive for investors. For the people that are, that are, have, are going to be fiduciary uh, or fiduciarily impacted by these types of decisions, that this was a good decision to make. However, my question is, if this is the case, because they're a publicly traded company, then why hasn't MicroStrategy had to have performed the same liquidity experiment to satisfy their people? Is this a difference in, in so far as how much controlling interest Michael Saylor has versus Elon Musk? I don't know. You tell me. If you know why it is that one company had to prove liquidity and the other company is like, fuck you, I'm holding it, then please tell me because I'm honestly, I'm honestly confused why one company would have to do it and the other one does not have to do it. When they are both publicly traded companies, they both have shareholders, they both have board of directors, they both have regulatory commitments that they must you know, see eye to eye with. And yet one company sells within the first quarter and here we have Michael Saylor basically holding on strong. I don't think it was, I honestly don't think it was a good decision for, uh, for Tesla to do this. Is, I mean, in the first quarter, because they bought in the first quarter and they sold at the end of the first quarter. I mean, they, 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 had, paper, they had paper hands and it took them all of like two and a half months to do a liquidity event on, on Bitcoin to quote unquote prove its worth or whatever. Anyway, I, I'm tending to call just complete bullshit on that whole narrative. But let's, let's go on. In January, Tesla reported in SEC filings that it had purchased Bitcoin that was then worth $1.5 billion. It also shared its plans to not only accept Bitcoin as payment, uh, but also to keep any BTC it earned from sales. In the call, CFO Zach Kirkhorn indicated the company plans to continue holding Bitcoin in its treasury and said it would stockpile Bitcoin from auto sales, adding, quote, from corporate treasury perspectives, we've been quite pleased with how much liquidity there is in the Bitcoin market. Yeah, well, Michael Saylor didn't have to prove it. The price of Bitcoin rose throughout the first quarter, buoyed by Tesla's purchase, as well as bullish buys from cloud software company MicroStrategy and Dorsey-led payments platform Square. At the start of the year, Bitcoin was priced around $32,000. It is now worth more than fifty-three grand, according to data from Nomics. The $272 million in Bitcoin sale contributed to a record quarterly net income for Elon Musk's company of $438 million. While bullish for Tesla, it's perhaps less so for Bitcoin, the price of which was up about 10% on the day before Tesla's announcement. CEO Musk's uh, public proclamations, often in tweet format, helped move markets. In January, he added Bitcoin to his Twitter profile and then watched as the market gained $4,000 in half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> correlation perhaps but even if the effect is imaginary must tweets don't seem to correlate with downward swings in the market over the weekend as the price of bitcoin dipped below 50 grand for the first time in a month must tweeted what does the future hodl given the spelling that seemed to be a reference to those who hold bitcoin for the long term it wasn't a reference to tesla's position aside from electric vehicles the company has one objective to make money for its stockholders even if that means selling some bitcoin so again, my question is, if they have one objective and that's to make money for its stockholders, then what the fuck is Michael Saylor doing? I mean, how, how is he able to meet his fiduciary commitment to his to, uh, shareholders without selling Bitcoin? And it's not like I'm like a huge Michael Saylor fan. I mean, I, I, I kind of suspect all these people of, of potential chicanery only because, well, I've been in Bitcoin since 2015 and I basically don't trust anybody. I know that's just kind of sad, but I just, I just don't trust anybody. But I mean, I don't know. I, somebody please tell me why it is that one company has to do this thing and, and another publicly traded company doesn't have to do that same thing. Cause I'm, I'm honestly confused here. Um, Obi Nwosu, uh, our good friend, Obi-Wan, who is the CEO and co-founder of CoinFloor, has penned yet another small essay entitled Heads I Win, Tails I Win. <laughs> this is out of btctimes.com. When America sneezes, the whole world catches a cold, even, it seems, Bitcoin. 
Many people believe that President Biden's capital gains tax proposal caused Bitcoin's fall in value below $50,000 for the first time in a few weeks. <coughs> Excuse me. But travelers on Bitcoin's road to hegemony should remember the words emblazoned on the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Don't panic. Wherever the Biden administration decides to set taxes, Bitcoin will emerge stronger than before, although the same cannot be said for the United States economy or its taxpayers. It's true that the Biden administration's plan to double the U.S. long-term capital gains tax to almost 40% might look like a direct attack on Bitcoin, especially when so many institutions and individuals are using Bitcoin to protect their wealth from dollar depreciation, but the panic is unfounded for several reasons. First, these are just proposals. The bill has yet to pass through Congress, and almost every president sees their legislative wings clipped through the rounds of bipartisan horse trading, even when they hold a majority in both houses. Secondly, of the two main ways this could play out, both are good for Bitcoin, and here's how. The likeliest and most liberal scenario is that Biden's tax proposal will be whittled down to less draconian figure that doesn't penalize savers, institutions, or corporations that have made substantial profit from their Bitcoin or other investments. Let's remember that over half of U.S. citizens hold shares along with an unknown and rapidly rising number of Bitcoin holders. So there is only so much stomach for a precipitous tax hike. So it seems probable that capital gains will stay at reasonably modest levels and that would have huge implications for Bitcoin. Why? By taxing holders or holdings at a substantial rate, the United States government would be tacitly admitting to at least one of Bitcoin's societal benefits, the ability to generate tax income for the government of, by, and for the people. Sure, it wouldn't be an explicit endorsement, not that Bitcoin needs one, but it makes it that much harder to move against Bitcoin in the future. As they say in the States, no taxation without representation. Well, when it's sensibly taxed, Bitcoin will have a, such a strong toehold in the United States financial and political system, it will be incredibly hard to dislodge, but let's say the bill goes through largely unchanged and U.S. investors face a swinging spike in capital gains tax. Under this scenario, Bitcoin still proposes, albeit a more circuitous, circuitous way, following the logic of the Laffer curve, too much tax will simply cause capital flight as investors move their wealth to other jurisdictions with less punitive policies. And not just the institutions and high net worth, uh, high net worthers, but all the others who are inevitably caught up when a dragnet is cast too wide and too indiscriminately. And wherever these investors fly, it'll be to territories that are tolerant of Bitcoin, accelerating the shift in gravity away from the United States and towards other nations, including, as I've argued before, the global South. As I say, the second scenario is less likely, though it's perfectly plausible. But how much better would it be for the U.S. economy, its institutions, corporates, and individual mom-and-pop investors if the Biden administration seized the opportunity to enable the public to profit from people's private Bitcoin hold holders in a sustainable way? For Bitcoin, it's a case of heads I win, tails I win, but there's only one winning choice for U.S. taxpayers. Setting capital gains at a sensible rate will enable the government to raise revenue and to some extent resist the urge to print more dollars. Oh God, Jesus, they can't not print dollars at this point. Bitcoin will triumph either way, but let's cross our fingers and hope the U.S. chooses the path that makes everyone a winner. Well, that supposes that Biden is actually the president of the United States at this point. And what I mean by that is that I, I haven't seen a president actually act of their own volition. Well, outside of Trump, Trump basically did everything he wanted. Only the shit that he wanted to do, and that pissed everybody off, which is why he's no longer sitting in that chair, right? Um, and I think when I mean piss people off, I mean the kind of people that you, that that matter. I'm not talking about blue-haired, you know, like ultra-liberal people getting mad and, and, you know, remaining permanently triggered. I'm talking about people with billions of freaking dollars who can swing markets because they own half of a media company or something like that. You know, I mean, at this point, I don't think the president, the, the office of the president of the United States, I don't think it's been an American institution since uh, they blew away Kennedy, honestly. I mean, not that I knew Kennedy or going through his history. I'm not all that big of a fan of Kennedy, but he was definitely not one of the worst presidents that we've had. But since then, I think all the rest of them have just basically been a sock puppet for like billionaires. I don't know. Can't prove it. 
don't really give a shit because regulatory arbitrage is a thing. And if you piss me off too much, I will probably end up in El Salvador with a whole bunch of Bitcoiner friends. Now, PayPal CEO, demand for Bitcoin much higher than expected. This entire piece from Liam Frost out of Decrypt.co is talking about cryptocurrency. I'm going to do my damnedest to say Bitcoin every time they say cryptocurrency because honestly, I'm just getting tired of the bullshit. So let's try this out. Just a few months after payments, a giant PayPal launched buying and selling features for Bitcoin and other Bitcoins. Okay, here I got to say cryptocurrencies. User demand for digital assets on the platform has already exceeded the company's expectation multiple fold revealed CEO Dan Schulman. Speaking to Time Magazine, Shulman said that demand on the crypto side has been multiple fold to what we initially expected. There's a lot of excitement. <coughs> Shulman explained that Bitcoin is just part of the overall trend of digitization of everyday payments accelerated by the coronavirus outbreak. Ten years from now, he argued, there will be a tremendous decline in the use of cash and credit cards. Instead, most financial operations will be conducted via smartphones and super apps. Quote, when all those things start to happen, the central banks need to rethink monetary policy as well because you can't just issue more paper money into a system because people aren't using paper money. Shulman, that's not what they're doing, dude. <sighs> he pointed out that today's financial systems are rapidly becoming obsolete due to their slow transaction speeds and high fees. In this light, companies need to think about modernizing their existing financial infrastructure to do things more efficiently with less cost, more inclusively, and add more utility into the system. In the next five years or five to 10 years, you're going to see more change in the financial system than you have over the past 10 to 20, uh, said Shulman, adding that the existing financial infrastructure needs modernization because it's inefficient today. According to him, central bank digital currencies or CBDCs can also take advantage of blockchain technology, but they're basically digitizing a fiat currency like the United States dollar. While not a full-fledged cryptocurrency, they can still have their use cases. A digital dollar, Shulman explained, could enable the government to open up Fed funding to other institutions besides banks. That could potentially include companies like PayPal, he added, where you could fund straight from the Fed right into a digital wallet. So why do we even need Wells Fargo, Bank of America, uh, Chase Manhattan, CBDCs, and companies like, I mean, if, if, if small, if private companies like PayPal are able to have a direct opening to the Fed window, then there's no reason to have retail banks. I'm not saying that I'm a fan of retail banks, but what I am saying is that they may actually end up being better allies to Bitcoiners than we might think because their neck is on the line too. You're talking about hundreds of thousands of people that will be put out of work. And I'm talking a lot of them are going to be very wealthy people. And maybe they like going to work. Maybe they like doing their banking job. This shit is a direct threat to them and they know it. They're not idiots. But if they're just, you know, if, the, if, if somehow or another the power of the Fed window opens up directly to shit like PayPal, well, guys, your, your job is over. Your job is done. So what I recommend for like any banker, if you're, if you're, you know, in knee deep in the banking industry and for whatever reason, listening to this podcast, uh, you, you might want to start putting the word in the ear of your bosses and your colleagues and your underlings that uh, this, this entire CBDC thing is not going to be good for retail banks. Okay. Just, just saying anyway, this way the government won't have to send stimulus checks by mail. For example, they just, go directly into the digital wallet through a digital currency, instantaneous access, no cost and no friction, Shulman concluded. Following its successful launch of crypto services in the US, PayPal is already eyeing further expansion of the scheme overseas with plans to introduce Bitcoin buying and selling to UK customers. So, <coughs> oh, good Lord, man. See, I, I got it I'm coming off this second cold in a month thing and it's just really, it's really pissing me off. Uh, NFL player Sean Culkin will convert full 2021 salary to Bitcoin. Uh, this is out of Bitcoin Magazine, written by Namcios, N-A-M, 
C-I-O-S. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Sean Culkin, a tight end for the NFL's Kansas City Chiefs, have joined the wave of athletes demanding to be paid in Bitcoin. Quote, I fully believe Bitcoin is the future of finance and wanted to prove that I have real skin in the game, not just trying to make a quick buck. I will be converting my entire NFL salary to Bitcoin, the athlete tweeted earlier today, which was probably yesterday. Uh, Culkin's base salary for 2021 is reported to be $920,000, according to KMBC. In converting his salary to Bitcoin, Culkin is joining NFL colleague Russell Okung, a Carolina Panthers offensive tackle who in December partnered with Lightning Network platform Strike to receive a sizable part of his $13 million yearly salary in Bitcoin. Okung was the first... God, he gets $13 million a year? Jeez, my... God almighty, that's like sounds like a multi-year contract to me. Maybe this is wrong. Oh, oh well. Okung was the first player in the league to publicly convert part of his salary to Bitcoin and has enjoyed great profits since then. <laughs> the price of Bitcoin on December 29, 2020 was around $27,000 and is now sitting at 53770 at time of writing. Although price appreciation might have been influencing Bitcoin's rising adoption in sports, the Chiefs tight end doesn't seem to be looking to make quick profits per his tweet. So another one ends up coming in and we're seeing more and more professional athletes and not even in the, in the just, out, I mean, outside of the NFL, it's happening too. It's happening in soccer in uh, Europe. There's a couple of people that are starting to really look at this. Um, you're going to see more of it. Honestly, these people are, these people are also not just, you know, great big dumb linebackers. The fact that they're large people doesn't necessarily mean that they're stupid guys. It does necessarily mean that they might have a good career in football because being big and being in football kind of goes together. But being big and being stupid is not a corollary, okay? Russell Okung's actually one of the most bright people that I've ever I've ever come in contact with. Dude, the dude gets it. I mean, so just I'm just saying, you're gonna see more of this shit. Now, eToro launches a stock portfolio tracking called Bitcoin Value Chain. I don't know. Maybe. Oh, no, it's called Bitcoin Worldwide. This is Scott Cipollina, also from Decrypt.co. <clears throat> eToro, a trading and multi-asset brokerage company, is launching a new stock portfolio that offers clients exposures to companies that are, quote, building the value chain around Bitcoin. The eToro Bitcoin Worldwide Portfolio includes an array of companies that are, in one way or another, currently connected to Bitcoin and the wider cryptocurrency market. It includes PayPal, NVIDIA, oh God, Kanan, and Coinbase. eToro users can invest in Bitcoin worldwide from a starting price of $1,000 with no management fees. Quote, the most significant change surrounding the world's largest Sorry, uh, surrounding the world's largest crypto is not its price, but the companies building the value chain around it. There's more to Bitcoin than you might think, said Danny Brinker, eToro's head of portfolio investments in a press release. However, other companies have uh, that have become household names in the crypto space, such as MicroStrategy, have been excluded from the list. This is because eToro made the conscious decision to exclude any company that despite being bullish on Bitcoin, lacks business units related to its activity. In addition, an eToro spokesperson told Decrypt that a company investing in crypto or holding it on their balance sheet will not meet the criteria to be included in the portfolio. Quote, our aim is to provide retail investors with an easy way to get exposure to companies that deliver a service or product essential to the further adoption of Bitcoin, end quote, Brinker added. So, that honestly, that's all you need to know about that one. Uh, I don't know, man. This seems like a this seems like a cheap hack, honestly. I mean, PayPal, Nvidia, Canaan, and Coinbase. Well, guess what? Nvidia doesn't have dick to do with Bitcoin. Why is that? Nvidia makes GPUs. Bitcoin does not use GPUs. Bitcoin hasn't used GPUs since like 2012, 2013, somewhere around there. It became ineffective to mine on a GPU with the advent of ASICs, which is entirely what Bitcoin mining is based upon. So given this, eToro doesn't understand that NVIDIA has absolutely nothing to do with Bitcoin. So I guess what they should, they might want to rename this thing a shitcoin value chain 
because GPU mining is for Ethereum and things like it, which are shit chains. I'm just saying, I mean, this is just how I see it. Anyway, let's run the numbers. It's the future because I'm up before the markets. Uh, yeah, we got futures and commodities here and everything is in the green except for, I mean, okay, like flammable liquids are in the green, shiny metal rocks are in the green, uh, everything's in the green. So I'm, I'm guessing that bond future prices got, or, uh, 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 interest rates got pushed down again. We'll see if I'm right. West Texas Intermediate is up 0.6 of a percent, uh, coming in at $62.32. Brent North Sea coming in at $65.97. It is up almost half a point. Natural gas is definitely up half a point, $2.80 for a thousand cubic feet of that stuff. Uh, gold doing 12.129% to the upside, and silver is up almost a half, $26.32 for that. Platinum is up over a half at 0.63%. Copper is up as usual, 1.34%, $4.50. Oh man, dude, wiring is just going to be out of control. Palladium is up one and a half percent, and I'm not sure what you use palladium for except in catalytic converters, but it seems like an expensive way to scrub exhaust to me. Uh, All the agricultural futures are up except for rough rice and cocoa, which are down uh, let's see. Livestock is not in yet. Dow futures up 0.05. S&P futures up 0.1. NASDAQ futures up 0.14. And S&P mini is up 0.07. Interest rates. They're all in the red. Yep. I was right. Yay. I'm getting better at it. Uh, U.S. 30-year futures have been pushed down by 0.14%. 10-year future by 0.07%. And a five-year future down 0.02%. And again, this is all to the downside. So there you go. Uh, They're trying to make sure those interest rates don't come up too high and get too hot because bad shit happens. Let's talk about real money, though. 40 or 40. $54,889 $54,889 is what I'm showing as a price on bitinfocharts.com. 268,000 transactions occurred in the last 24 hours. That's about 11,200 transactions on average every hour. 928,000 BTC have been sent in the last 24 hours. And we have 38,669 BTC changing hands every hour on the hour. And 3.45 BTC is the average transaction value, while the median transaction value is back up to 0.022 BTC, or $1,230. Block times have increased again. We're back up to 11 minutes and 10 seconds, so God only knows what the hell happened now. But we're taking in 1.3 BTC on a per block basis in fees. And we're taking in 170.86 BTCs in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've had a reduction by 16%. Oh my, oh my God. Wonder what happened now. We have, our hash rate is down to 143.8 exahashes per second. So God only knows what the hell's going on. I guess they turned off the electricity again in China. I don't know. Anyway, your shitcoin indicator is Doge, 25.7 United States pennies for meme coin. Oh my God, kill me now. Transactions, the number of is 44,659. It is going to have to wait for 78 blocks to clear all that. We are back above a $1 trillion market cap, $1.02 trillion to, in fact. And we have captured 8.82% of gold's market cap. You will only get 30.6 ounces of shiny metal rocks for one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,692,510.5 BTC in circulation. The total capacity of the Lightning Network continues its pace, 1,211 BTC inside of that, which gives the whole Lightning Network a value of $66.4 million dollars. That is being run over 10,756 nodes with 42,456 channels that we can see. Uh, We've dropped just a hair in percentage of Tor capacity. We are at 57.7% 
of the Tor net or the Lightning Network being run over Tor, and that includes 698.8 BTC running over just one shy of 5,000 Tor nodes that we can see, and that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. We're going to start this one with William Ridge writing for BitcoinMagazine.com. This article entitled Gresham Fears and Demanding Payment in Bitcoin. Pay me in Bitcoin, bitches. There is a widely held belief among Bitcoiners that a hyper-Bitcoinized future, one in which Bitcoin fulfills the three characteristic functions of money for our global society, store of value, medium of exchange, and unit of account, is inevitable. All that remains to be seen is how and when this will occur. In this piece, I contribute to the discussion regarding hyper-Bitcoinization by examining Gresham and Thier's law uh, as they relate to the global adoption of Bitcoin as sound money. To begin with, both Gresham's and Thier's laws are complementary in the sense that they both predict economic outcomes arising from the competition between distinct forms of money. For either law to apply, they must exist or there must exist two kinds of money in an economy, one being an inferior to the other. Exactly how one money is inferior to the other influences the dynamics that are likely to result. During an era of commodity monies, when coins were minted using precious metals, one kind of coin could be considered inferior to another when each shared an equivalent face value, uh, despite having a different underlying precious metal composition. The difference between the face value of the money and the cost involved in its production is known as its level of seniorage. As an example, suppose that there exists two kinds of coin, each with an equivalent face value as dictated by the state. One coin, however, has a lower level of seniorage and is constructed with a higher concentration of precious metals when compared with their debased counterpart. Additionally, suppose that there exists a set of legal tender laws dictating that producers must accept either variant of coin in exchange for their services, treating each as though that they are of equivalent value. Well, under such a setting as this, Gresham's law predicts that bad money drives out the good from circulation in the economy. This is because rational consumers who have been granted the right via the legal tender laws to choose which of the two coins to transact with will seek to leverage the opportunity provided by the difference between the seniorage level of the two coins. The difference between seniorage of the two coins that nonetheless have an equivalent face value creates an incentive to transact with the debased coin while saving the alternative, potentially going so far as to melt the higher value coin in order to sell the underlying precious metals. Sir Thomas Gresham, an English financier operating during the 16th century, recognized this dynamic following the great debasements undertaken by King Henry VIII and Edward the, was it the 11th. In a letter he wrote to Queen Elizabeth I, Gresham observed how all your fine gold was conveyed out of this your realm, end quote. In the present era of fiat money, however, the level of seniorage of all money is very high due to the fact that by definition, fiat money only has value by decree from the state. Under this paradigm, one money can be considered inferior to another, not due to the disparity between the underlying constituent components, but rather due to the likelihood that it will lose purchasing power relative to other fiat monies over time. For instance, a hyperinflated Zimbabwe banknote can be considered inferior to the relatively more stable U.S. dollar, given that it's able to retain its purchasing power in the short term. Notice that during both eras, an important dimension making one kind of money better or worse when compared with alternatives is the degree to which it can preserve purchasing power. An individual attempting to store their wealth in a set of debased coins will encounter an, an analogous dilemma to the individual attempting to store their wealth in an inflated fiat money, the difference merely being a matter of degree. While Gresham's law may be invoked in the presence of legal tender laws, Fear's law applies when no such laws are present, or importantly, when such laws are ignored. Fear's law, named in honor of Adolf Thiers, predicts an inverse dynamic to Gresham's law, which is to say that good money will drive out the bad from circulation in an economy. The reason for this is simple. Under a free market for money, 
producers rather than consumers are empowered, empowered to demand payment for their services with the better money. A producer recognizing the inferiority of one money over another is incentivized to demand payment in the better form of money from consumers. Once more, this incentive arises from the fact that the better money has properties that are more conducive for the preservation of one's purchasing power over time. While many nations do not willingly grant their productive citizens discretionary choices regarding legal tender laws, individuals living through a period of hyperinflation nonetheless insist on a superior foreign currency in order to escape the ravages of a centrally planned and mismanaged economy. This is why Thiers Law is so often observed in countries undergoing a period of hyperinflation. Producers must, given raw necessity, demand payment in the good money, and with this comes the death of the bad money. With all this in mind, Grisham's, Gresham's and Thiers' laws highlight an important set of incentives arising out of the implicit competition between the inferior class of fiat money and the obviously superior Bitcoin. In the absence of legal tender laws that dictate the equal treatment of unequal monies or in areas where such laws are ignored, the better money drives out the bad through the demand placed on consumers by producers. Legal tender laws, such as those discussed here, distort the free market. As a consequence, privileged consumers at the expense of producers. This is not merely an economic concern. Issues of social justice also arise from such interventions. Prima facie, it seems unreasonable to force producers to accept a form of money that they do not value in exchange for their goods and services. More to the point, however, is the fact that the kind of legal tender laws discussed here create a sort or a set of incentives for producers to either ignore the laws or to leave the legal jurisdiction entirely. Acting in either way will erode the legitimacy and usurious nature of the state. Thus, states have an incentive to refrain from imposing strict legal tender laws due to long-term consequences that such distortions of the free market create. In this light, the recent hostile actions undertaken by the nations of Turkey and India are as disappointing as they are self-defeating. Conversely, the openness displayed by Miami Mayor Suarez in relation to Bitcoin will undoubtedly prove to be an instance of highly prudent leadership and considerable foresight. The upshot of this analysis and the key takeaway from both Gresham's and Thiers' laws is that to spur hyper-Bitcoinization, producers must demand that they be paid in Bitcoin. By demanding payment in Bitcoin, producers are not only able to preserve their purchasing power, but are also creating an incentive for consumers to acquire more Bitcoin. Thus, if we want to live in a hyper-Bitcoinized world, we should demand payment in Bitcoin. Woo, that's a good one. Good job there, William Ridge. I, I, that was a nice, simply well-laid-out plan there. And I... I can't really disagree with that. And you're like, and we'll take it back to um, uh, Russell O'Kung and uh, oh, his friend from the Chiefs. I can't remember his name already. God, it's too early in the morning. The, as these people who do produce, um, and what I mean by that is that they produce in the form of entertainment, because football in, is an entertainment. It would be probably more of a product if like the opposing team, you know, all died because they lost a game or something like that. We hope that that never happens. I'm just saying that, you know, right now, I, I can't consider football or any kind of sporting event as anything other than just solely entertainment. It, I mean, the outcome does not matter. It just, it just doesn't. So in my opinion, it's a service because it's entertainment. But still, as long as they demand to be paid in Bitcoin or figure out a way that they're going to be paid in Bitcoin, is gonna kind of force the NF, like in this case, the NFL's hand, that maybe they should start putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Because as workers across the world start to wise up and say, I wanna get paid in Bitcoin, the easiest way for an employer to service that request if they wanna keep good talent is that they gotta buy Bitcoin and put it on their balance sheet so that they can pay their employees in Bitcoin rather than in stupid fiat. It could, it, this shit could happen faster than we think, guys. That's all I'm saying. Now, CoinSeed mysteriously switched user accounts to Dogecoin, customers say. Oh boy, Robert Stevens is writing this one for Decrypt.co. Customers of crypto savings app CoinSeed say that the company has converted their deposits 
to Dogecoin without their consent and will not process their withdrawals. Powerless and unable to reach the firm, the users of the New York registered firm can do nothing but watch the crashing Dogecoin market, which tanked by 30% the past week, wipe away their savings. Are you guys listening? You listening to this? Are your ears perking up yet? Quote, this entire thing has made me pretty sick, said Ace 2016-13, or, or rather on our Coinseed scam a subreddit that angry customers set up to log their fury into coordinated response. In a Facebook group of the same name, two customers report losses of over $100,000 and dozens for lesser sums. Incensed, around 50 Facebook users have expressed interest in a class action lawsuit against Coinseed. A Coinseed spokesman could not be reached for comment probably because he's sipping margaritas on a beach somewhere. The angry investors better get in line. In February, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and the New York Attorney General passed charges against the firm for allegedly defrauding investors into buying a worthless token. (coughs) (coughs) Sorry, excuse me. And lying about the expertise of its executives. The NYAG claimed Coinseed fraudulently took $1 million from investors in a token sale. Coinseed's social media feeds have gone dark since the filings, and its app is no longer listed on Apple's or Google's app stores. The New York Attorney General started receiving complaints about the allegedly errant conversions to other cryptocurrencies on April the 16th. Legal documents filed by Coinseed's counsel, Morrison Cohn Show. Coinseed's lawyers want out of the ca- of, of the cases. Oh my God. In a declaration filed last week, Morrison Conan, Coinseed's lawyers, said that Coinseed's founders have not responded to its communications, delaying important decisions about the upcoming cases. Morrison Conan announced its intention to cut ties with Coinseed on April the 21st. Quote, it is clear that the attorney-client relationship has broken down irreparably, wrote Jason Gottlieb, a partner for Morrison Conan. Gottlieb declined to comment about the case to decrypt. Coinseed's app has allowed customers to invest their spare change in cryptocurrencies. Customers could allocate their money to any of 17 cryptocurrencies or crypto lending protocols, and Coinseed was supposed to handle the investments. Quote, we are looking to build a bridge for the masses to adopt crypto in the most seamless way, it said in an earlier SEC filing. It seemed to be a successful model. Several customers on our Coinseed scam site reported tenfold increases in their portfolios, but the balance in their accounts ultimately means nothing if the proceeds cannot be withdrawn. Trusted third parties are security holes, people. According to a 2019 annual report filed with the SEC, Coinseed was $92,000 in debt by March for that year. Oh, boy. The firm was founded in 2017 by two Mongolians. Oh, goddamn Mongolians. Who studied in New York? CEO cannot pronounce his name, who wrote the code and holds 80% of the shares in the company. And CFO also cannot pronounce the name, who handled the finances and holds the other 20%. In SEC filings, Coinseed said that some guy's name has worked at multiple Wall Street firms, including a fixed income broker dealer and an economic consulting firm focusing on analyzing securities. However, the New York Attorney General said that that guy's name had never traded securities or commodities. Neither co-founder could be reached for comment. Morrison Cohen, the law firm that's trying to get out of the case, thinks that What's-His-Face returned to some country's name in Mongolia. (laughs) So I'll I'll try. Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia. The lawyers indicated there was no forwarding address. You got rug pulled. That's what happened to you. You got rug pulled. And as to them converting everything to Doge... I don't know. That sounds really strange. That almost sounds like they're just laughing and trolling and are more concerned about getting the the lulls out of this thing than getting your money. But either way, if you were a Coinseed customer, you got rugged, uh, you lost all your money, it's all gone, and you're never getting it back. This is why trusted third parties are security holes. They do not have your best interest in mind. And JP Morgan probably doesn't either, but at least they're not apt to rug pull because they're reportedly planning to offer a Bitcoin fund. Yes, that's right. Bitcoin magazines, Ayak Atutubuki, I think is how you pronounce it, has this one. JP Morgan Chase is preparing uh, to allow its clients to invest in an actively managed Bitcoin fund, according to Coindesk. And yes, they write Bitcoin fund. 
The J.P. Morgan Bitcoin funding could roll out as soon as this summer, per the report. Institutional Bitcoin shop NYDIG will serve as JPM's custody provider. This fund would reportedly be available to private wealth clients. Uh, if and when such a fund does become available, JP Morgan would be joining a growing number of legacy financial firms that want to offer Bitcoin exposure to their clients. Goldman Sachs announced a similar move in March, while Morgan Stanley announced one earlier this month. But JPM's potential pivot to Bitcoin is particularly notable due to the chief's previously expressed attitude toward the emerging asset. During an institutional investors conference in 2017, J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon infamously called Bitcoin worse than tulip bulbs, saying that it won't end well. Someone is going to get killed, end quote. However, in a February 2021 interview with Bloomberg, uh, co-president Daniel Pinto sounded optimistic about Bitcoin, quote, if over time an asset class develops that is going to be used by different asset managers and investors, we will have to be involved, Pinto said. The demand isn't there yet, but I'm sure it will at some point. Okay. Well, it's not like JP Morgan are, you know, is the, are are the only smart people in the room. Apparently, some of them are over in Iran at their central bank. Because they they just announced that they officially mined cryptocurrency to use to pay for imports. Marie Juliet tells us more out of Cointelegraph. Iran is continuing to explore the potential use of cryptocurrency as a tool for migrating or mitigating the devastating impact of economic sanctions imposed by the United States. According to a report from the English language Iranian economic news source Financial Tribune, the Central Bank of Iran, or CBI, is authorizing banks and licensed forex shops to use cryptocurrencies as payments for imports. Holy shit, dude. Under its regulatory framework, the cryptocurrency must derive from licensed crypto miners only. These mining operations are officially permitted by the Iranian state as an industrial activity and require operators to secure a license from the Ministry of Industry, Mine, and Trade. As Financial Tribune reports, the Iranian government ratified regulations that would enable crypto to be used legally for imports in October of 2020, provided that miners sell their coins directly to the central bank. Indeed, the strategy appears to have been several years in the making, with a 2018 report from Iranian think tank Mijalis Research Center uh, stating, quote, according to experts, one way to avoid the adverse effects of unjust sanctions is to use cryptocurrencies for foreign trade, end quote. Well, in January of this year, Shihab Javan Mamardi, a member of the Iran Chamber of Commerce, Industries, Mining, and Agriculture, advocated for the government to use cryptocurrency to help counter trade difficulties in a tough geopolitical climate. Venezuela, another country hit by U.S. sanctions, provides an example for a prior attempt to use cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin as payment for imports from Iran and Turkey. Javan Marty reportedly said, quote, repatriating revenue from exporting gas and electricity is not possible under present U.S. sanctions. The government can promote use of excess electricity output or power generated by small scale plants to mine cryptocurrencies and make up for the locked resources, end quote. Javan Marty proposed creating a central market similar to the secondary Forex market through which officially mined cryptocurrency could be sold to Iranian firms seeking to import materials, machinery, and other goods. Sajid Nikpur, a member of the ICCIMA Commission for Promoting Non-Oil Exports, is cited as saying that the private sector believes cryptocurrency's usefulness for the Iranian economy applies to the trade sector, and could facilitate a boost to domestic production by enabling imports of raw materials. Nikpur has stressed the need to keep such measures transparent. As reported back in September 2020, private sector representatives have also been appealing to CBI to approve the use of Bitcoin to pay for car imports on Kish Island. Despite being encouraged by the authorities, Iran's crypto mining industry has nonetheless had a turbulent, turbulent couple of years. Illegal farms have been shut down in mass, and local authorities rushed to blame the mining sector for disruptive power outages in January of this year, which experts critiqued at the time as an ill-judged strategy of deflection and scapegoating. So Iran figuring it out. We're watching it unfold on the world stage. I mean, literally, this is the under this is the undercutting 
of the United States dollar as the world's reserve currency. This is one example of what that looks like. And if you're not watching very, very closely, you're going to miss the fun when a whole bunch of other countries start to just, they just throw up their hands and they just start using Bitcoin. And it's going to piss the United States and China and Russia and I don't know who else is in control of the world. Um, it's going to piss them straight off. Oh, Europe. Sorry. So United States, Europe, Russia, and China are all going to be pissed. They're all going to get angry. Well, I mean, at this point, you know, ladies and eco-terrorists uh, keep talking about drone striking mining farms. You may see that. You won't see it on American soil. And you won't see it on Chinese soil and you probably won't see it on Russian soil or even Ukraine, but uh, like Iran, Pakistan, Venezuela, you can probably pick up heat signatures from a mining operation and target with probably about 98%, you know, accuracy that you're actually going to hit a, a Bitcoin or any kind of cryptocurrency mining farm that uses proof of work, Right which is going to be used. And if, if they ever do, if they ever do, the proof of stake guys will literally parade that shit out in front of your ass as see, this is why proof of stake matters. Proof of stake doesn't matter because the only people that get a chance to have any say so in what happens with that currency are the people that already own the currency. Guess what that is? That's fiat currency. That's not a cryptocurrency guys. So, we got to be real careful, you know, going forward in the future. So let's do this last one. South Korea finance minister says taxing crypto is inevitable next year. Scott Cipollina's got it out of Decrypt.co. Uh, Hong Nam Ki has said that taxes on cryptocurrency in the country are on the way per, per a Reuters report. Quote, it's inevitable. We will need to impose taxes on gains from trading of virtual assets. Uh, Hong previously said the capital gains taxes on cryptocurrency sales may begin in January of 2022. Per the Reuters report, any annual gains of more than 2.5 million won or $2,200 from crypto trades will be subject to a capital gains tax of 20%. That's usury, bitches. In addition, Hong has described cryptocurrencies as intangible assets, suggesting it would be a misunderstanding to label them as currencies. <laughs> What's more, Hong warned that trading digital tokens is prone to new forms of illegal fundraising and fraud, and investors should be vigilant. South Korea has paid close attention to regulating crypto industry in recent months. On March the 25th, new financial reporting rules came into force for South Korea's crypto businesses, non-compliance can result in a $44,000 fine or a five-year prison sentence. Yes, let's use, let's use violence to get our way. Goddamn primates aping around again. Earlier this month, the Financial Supervisory Service and other regulatory authorities in South Korea agreed to tighten regulations on cryptocurrency transactions. Major South Korean banks also raised concerns over cryptocurrency speculation at the time. And just this week, South Korea's Financial Services Commission reminded employees working on crypto regulation to file reports about their cryptocurrency investment portfolios as part of the FSC's Code for Conduct. So yeah, taxes are coming to South Korea. Taxes are inevitable. They're going to come everywhere. And it's like up to us to, you know, I think we're morally obligated to figure out ways to get out of paying as many taxes as we possibly can without going to prison. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Just saying. Now, let's go back to this for just a second before we <coughs> before we end this. Major South Korean banks also raised concerns over cryptocurrency speculation at the time. South Korean banks are going to be in the same boat as Western banks when it comes to CBDCs. Nobody is going to be immune. There's no such thing as a retail bank that isn't going to be directly basically given their hat and shown the fucking door as CBDCs come to the rise and a central bank through an app can access the citizenry of a country directly. There's no need for them to have a middleman, which means the banks now become your best friend. Why? Because they're going to be fighting for survival like we're fighting for Bitcoin. They're going to be fighting for relevance like we're fighting for Bitcoin. They're going to be fighting for a seat at the table like we fight for Bitcoin. And CBDCs give them no way out. I, like I said, I highly recommend if you know bankers, I would start 
I would start, oh, fuck it, FUD them. Let them know that their job is on the goddamn line is if CBDCs get released and they better start looking at Bitcoin. They better start maneuvering their banking partners themselves and anybody else that they can figure out to start dealing with Bitcoin directly as a banking process because when CBDCs come out, we're not going to need retail banks. I could go get a I could go get a home loan directly from the Fed through PayPal. This leaves no room for Wall Street or Wall Street for Wells Fargo and all the rest of them. They are just as much in danger. And I don't, I mean, I think that, that some of them know it. I think they all look at it, but I think that they might be fooled into believing that they've been in the financial arena for so long that there's no way that they could be shown their hat and they will be shown their hat. I'm just saying, Hey, look, if you like the show and you want to help me out, like, subscribe, share the show. Uh, I've had more, more and more people do that lately, and it's really kind of cool. Uh, five-star reviews on Apple iTunes or anywhere that you listen to this podcast on that you can leave me a review. I would highly, I would very much appreciate that. <coughs> so I want to get this out to more people. I want to do this all the time. I, you know, it, it's, I, I've just become so used to waking up at five and, letting you know what the hell's going on for the day and having this shit, hopefully for your morning commute, uh, on the East coast by the time you actually have to make that morning commute. So help me help you understand what the hell's going on in Bitcoin by supporting the show any way that you can. And right now that really is just getting the word on the street. I appreciate it. And I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.